And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous Starship captain once said, and as another famous Starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, we'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always, that's the goal. Hi everyone, I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimachek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now... Let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. We are exploring a little Star Trek series that was separated from friends and family, isolated in an unknown region of space without any idea when their uncertain future would end. It's Star Trek Voyager and how Voyager can help us navigate our own isolation, our own separation, our own social distancing. I am so excited to uh, talk Trek with you today, Larry. And how does this show work? It's it's not just about you and me. We're not the only ones here. How's this how's this going to work, Larry? We're gonna. I'm I'm so excited because yes, we're not only was Voyager isolated from everybody else, we have been isolated for Voyager for 25 years now <laughs> from the start. Of Voyager. <laughs> we have been that much separation, which is awesome. It's the 25th anniversary year of Voyager. But yeah, this is. Uh, after all these weeks, I'm welcoming to everybody. If you're finding us on YouTube, if you're finding us on Facebook, and even Twitch, we had one viewer last week. Boyd, are you back with us <laughs> um, on Twitch? But yeah, you can chat in. We're gonna we'll take some breaks. We're gonna start off with a with a, a briefing room session here. We're gonna recap some of our points today, but um, and then hit the away mission later on. But all along the way, feel free to come in on the chat. And guys, if you've been with us before. We think we fixed this. We'd love for you to join us on camera for Skype when we do a shout-out for that. Um, today, our name, you can see it on the frame. Today, the actual thing you use on Skype is Life Support Live Host, okay? We think, fingers crossed, that'll work better. We think so, we no, figured it out. We, we're we going to go on our own little mission of discovery here, uh, our own voyage of discovery, and uh, into all things isolation and... and uh, and uh, and and the antithesis of that, which is making connections to to counter isolation. So right, do, doctor. That's one hundred percent correct. I concur, Doctor Trek. Uh, so let's let's get uh, let's get the party started today. And um, we are gonna uh, we want to hear from you. Um, what story from Star Trek Voyager is most applicable to our shelter in place isolation? Now I know it's a changing scenario, and different countries are in different places here in the United States. Different states are opening up to different degrees, but sheltering in place or at least social distancing is still the norm and is going to be the norm for a while. So what story from Star Trek Voyager most applies to this world that we are in right now? And with that, Dr. Trek, let's let's open up 
the briefing room, or let's enter the briefing. You don't open the. Well, I guess you do open the briefing room, but let, let's. You do open. The door. You stand <laughs> yeah. there and let it open for you. That's right. That's it. right. Oh yeah, that's right. No one opens doors in Star Trek. <laughs> Have I we? That's on some backward planet from 2020. Or something. Yeah. Do we ever see people open doors in Star Trek? You, occasionally, you do. Yeah. 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 Depends on the button. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on if it's one of those yoga planets where everyone's like on a retreat and like mm-hmm. distancing themselves from electricity. So I want to talk track to you um, with you about Star Trek Voyager, uh, Larry. I want to get some context here because Star Trek Voyager holds a very special place in my life. I was just thinking about this as I was prepping for today's show that it was the first Star Trek I watched from beginning to end to end on TV as episodes were being released. It also came um, came online as the internet started to come online. It also launched UPN. Um, I believe the tagline was, the first show for the first network for the 21st century or something like that. Um, it's probably one of 47 taglines they had. Right. right. UPN's problem, but it, yeah. It was also, um, we were getting a very different ship, a small ship, a more agile ship. It wasn't named Enterprise. It looked different. It operated different. It was alive. It had bioneural uh, gel packs. We had our first female captain. Uh, we had a largely um, uh, a much more high-profile women in roles that we hadn't really seen before as chief engineer, and, and right. um, a lot of stuff was happening there. Um, this show was very different, and it was going to a region of space where we had never been before. We knew there might be some Ferengi out there couple of them and we knew the Borg were out there but um, this was a very different show where you wouldn't really be able to see recurring alien races in the way you did on the original series on the next generation on Deep Space Nine to this degree and this was the first Star Trek show that was completely created without Gene Roddenberry's knowledge at all before he passed he knew Deep Space Nine was in development but this is and this was an era too where as Voyager was launching the next generation was entering Generations was being filmed Deep Space Nine was boldly going Um, the original series was uh, the original cast was still popular oh yes Star Trek Star Trek did everything before there was a fancy word for it. Yes. I mean, whether it was the internet <laughs> or it was, uh, yeah, having a multi-channel universe like that. Absolutely. And, the Maquis storyline is a beautiful I, I, example I, of that. Yeah. I say all the time that every new Star Trek has a simple formula. It's got to be exactly like the thing that came before, except totally different. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> I love that. The, things you've been under, the boxes you've been checking out, like it was time for a woman captain, which is amazing considering all the the hoofla about some of the female lead characters we get now. But that just happened in the 90s and people thought, well, yes, of course, it's time. But also the whole meme about being lost in a, in a realm of space, trying to get home. Mm-hmm. They wanted to break the comfy confines of the Alpha and Beta Quadrants and, and do that. So a lot of the setups for Voyager were done that way. And the things to introduce friction into Gene's perfect human world were the creation of the Maquis. And people think, no, no, wait, they started that on Voyager and DS9. Everything on DS9 and, and, and Next Generation that was Maquis-centered was all set up in service of launching Voyager, mm-hmm. just if you didn't know. So if, if Voyager hadn't happened, the Maquis uh, 
plot lines in either of the other shows, especially DS9, would never have happened. Which is such um, a beautiful... You know, I, I very recently rewatched um, all of DS9 and Voyager. Um, last year, I think I watched most of both of them. And um, the Maquis storyline is one of my favorite arcs in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which is saying a lot because there's a lot of arcs in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But it's it's such a beautiful transition um, and, and a story that only could really happen in Star Trek in that era where it, it starts the next generation, it's carried forward in Deep Space Nine, it launches Voyager, but it continues distantly in Deep Space Nine. And then as that storyline ends in DS9, it plays out years later on USS Voyager, when they do get communi- spoilers, they get communication with Starfleet. <laughs> so, well, it gave yeah, it was there for a lot of wacko plots too. In fact, the, one of the, at, at the very end, you find out about this bizarre Bajoran uh, Vedic who's like manipulating them right. all from, from from the grave and afar, <laughs> uh, you know, life situation. But yeah, it's and well, we don't want to get off. We can do the Maquis some other week in depth, but it's always been odd to me that it was just a thing to set up conflict in a new show and then they took it and ran with it on yeah. all the other all the other series but people forget that it specifically really was about the Cardassian border area and this wacky it's a it's a whole testament to me about how bureaucracies that are trying to even serve their people lose touch right because the whole point was try to make peace with Cardassia and some Federation citizens were in an basically some Federation citizens were thrown under the bus and became Cardassian citizens which makes no sense right anyway that's that's for another show but yes the the whole Maquis thread of Voyager the sad thing was to me Voyager is personal to me because it's what was being launched as we moved to LA mm. and then my wife worked on it for five years mm-hmm. in the script department um so I heard about it like not like it was entertainment finished in a, on screen, but like it was a workplace environment, <laughs> <laughs> and all the twists in terms of not only the script dramas but you know the people dramas. And I and I, I love those years, but for everybody who says you know be careful what you wish for, you may get it. Yeah, thank you, Lieutenant, you know Commander Hura. Um, that's what happened more or less. And my my personal link to Voyager is always colored by the real world of things. Mm-hmm. Led chiefly by, I just felt like being on that network that was the big Ballyhoo moment. In the end, they had to water down a lot of things that yeah. DS9 and Next Generation never had to worry about. Yeah, with you know uh, network notes, and then because, it because DS9 well and, and the original or DS9 Next Generation were syndicated, so different right. rules. Whereas Voyager was really a flagship show for a new network. Different and all expectations. The that Gene had had with the original series that he, again, pendulum yeah. swings. Yeah. He fought not having those controls for Next Generation. DS9 was the same way. And then with UPN, it was right back to having network notes and sensors and people, you know, more, more, more fingers in the pot, as it were. So, Larry, and, I want to just pause for one second. Um, one quick feedback from Really49. Is it possible to adjust your volume? I'm sorry, really, 49. I turned my volume way up for a different meeting I had yesterday. I just adjusted it down. Hopefully, that should balance out things. And then, Larry, if you could move a little bit to camera left. We're trying a new... That is camera right. Let's try the other direction. Your other left. Your other left. Oh, that is wonderful. Okay, thank you. I think we should have that worked out right now. And um, before we get into the isolation and sheltering in place, Larry, you have a writing credit on... uh, You have a story credit on Star Trek Voyager as well. Well, we got to pitch. They everyone knew me from being interviewed through Next Generation yeah. DS Nine, 
So then when Janet was hired, there was a lot of trust there. We got brought in to pitch. We actually, the first pitch session we did where we pitch as in throw stories to hopefully sell them, um, we met with Jerry Taylor. And in December, you know, Jan- uh, January was the premiere of Caretaker, the pilot. So, um, but they'd been filming for about five months. And so the stories were past the pi- pilot and the Bible. And they, they were five or six stories in. And we pitched five things. One they bought which we called uh, several things, Reflections and Descendants. But it was a Balana story where they find Klingons in the Delta Quadrant, mm-hmm. which was like, oh, and it was a generational ship and all of this. And we had a whole plot. They bought it, decided to hold off on it because of Faces, where Balana is split mm-hmm. in two. Mm-hmm. And then for various long story reasons I've talked about over the years, it's, it's a fun story. It, it uh, got delayed, 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 pushed back, and then we just assumed it was... You know, never going to be shown. We got paid for our story. Right. Uh, and then seventh season when Brandon <laughs> was off working on Enterprise and Ken Biller was running the show, it was like he was cleaning out the closets. Yeah. And said, hey, Larry, where, we can't find the notes from that story you sold in the first year. So six years to, ago. <laughs> six years later. And, of course, the characters had all changed, evolved, grown up. Right. But what remained had a whole new story attached to it, but the core of it was Bellana. And Klingons from the Alpha from the yeah. Beta Quadrant. You know and what? That was prophecy. So yes, prophecy. Except uh, Janet's got her pen name on it, not her real name. So when we get to uh, the counselor's log, I'm going to tie in prophecy because I think there's a great tie-in here to mental health. But um, I have to tell you, just as a fan, um, I never realized how much I was going to miss the Klingons until we like didn't really see them as a as a group of people. Which by the time we get to season seven of Star Trek Voyager, um, Deep Space Nine is long gone, and we don't really see the Klingons in um, Star Trek Insurrection or Nemesis, besides Worf, of course, and besides Bolana. So it, it was such a nice, refreshing thing to get this little taste of the Alpha Quadrant again. Yeah. And uh, the Barge of the Dead was the other show where you and some other right. little mini stories with, but but yeah, you got some because really from the third season of Voyager on, it was the only it was the only Alpha Quadrant show yeah. out there. Yeah, it was the only show period. And then um, um, what did I say? Third season. Yeah, the last two years they were they were all alone. DS Nine ended for Voyager's fifth season, so for two years they had the entire mantle. Of all Star Trek. Larry, I'm going to poke you again. If you could get to a little bit camera left, you are encroaching on my uh, quadrant of space here. I don't think that. So speaking of quadrants, I want to talk about this, Larry. So we've got um, Voyager is about 80 years away, stranded from Federation space, from the Alpha Quadrant. Well, not from Federation space, but from the Alpha Quadrant. They have a long journey ahead of them. Yeah, so there's um, issues of isolation and separation now they're not isolated from each other it's a ship i forget how many people were on board i think a few hundred 200 300 no, not many it's at most 150 and then they yeah had- it, it it's crew complement yeah. is more similar to the constitution class right or constellation class i mean it's a smaller crew it's we're not talking galaxy class here yeah well no we're not talking kirk's original ship the kirk's original the constitution class the 1701 was 430 feet oh so it's even smaller than, than oh, yes. yeah it's, it's like 130 ish yeah if it hadn't been 
Maquis stuck with them, it would have been even smaller. So it's a right. small group of people that are sort of sheltering in place, and they're very far away. So the clearest parallel here is it's very hard for them to be with their friends and family, and they don't know when they're going to be with their friends and family. There's some differences because they have each other, they can go to different planets, but... This is something I want to talk to you about. How how did you see them coping? How was this playing out in the Voyager storylines? Well, see, it's it's funny because you would have thought there would have been enough potential for conflict, and you know, not to not to cross the streams too much. But DS Nine, you've got famously, you've got Quark and Garrick talking about humans in the Federation, and Quark has the great speech about, oh yeah, they're all great in twenty fourth century, right? <laughs> but when they have all their stuff. Take away their stuff, take yeah. away their technology, their creature comforts, and they can be just as, you know, barbarian as a Klingon, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah. And and we never got totally that way, thankfully, Voyager. Now, part of this was the fact of, in those days, like, visual effects was not, in the beginning especially, was not very, well, CGI hadn't developed to the point where it could be really used weekly yeah. on a TV budget. Yeah, so it did by the, the end, things, but not the beginning. The ship itself went through all these knocks and, you know, trials and tribulations. Um, it looked pristine every yeah. week. Like they couldn't ever like alter their physical model because it would take too much money to bring it back yeah. every week. So some of that crept in. So a lot of the inner damage was like inside. But even then, there were a, a year of hell. Yeah, there were some shows where the ships took damage, but then they would have to be like the plots. They would yeah. all be reset yeah. <laughs> for the next week. But you would think that that much tension would be enough to play with and get out of the we're not violating Gene's perfect humans yeah. because they're under so much stress. But still, they felt the need to introduce conflict, air quotes, yeah. with the Maquis element. Yeah. The year Even of hell... Then, it immediately, the network had them water it down and say, well, it's Starfleet. They've got to be heroic. So my big peeve is what they, they, the biggest thing out of the gate, the lost potential, was not seeing the Maquis-Starfleet yeah. conflict stretch on much longer and be much more bar. It just all went away all too fast. What's really fun about Year of Hell when you watch rewatch the show now on streaming, in the season prior, uh, there's an episode where I forget which character is um, moving through time. Um, might be Kess. Uh, but uh, there's mm-hmm. uh, a reference to the events of Year of Hell to come. Um, so th- there were there were a lot of seeds here for that type of conflict. I think we, we get some of it with Seven, definitely. Uh, and the Borg storylines that play out, especially with the Borg children, um, you do see more of that. But yeah, that original conflict about the Maquis, as it plays, it plays out so differently in Star Trek Deep Space Nine um, than it does in Star Trek Voyager. So that was definitely um, a bit of a it's bummer. Like TV shows turned into being like their equivalent of mirror shows. It's like right, something right. would happen. Here's a, here's Seska's old hollow novel come to life, or here's this Bajoran monk. <laughs> pulling streams from beyond the grave. And that's that's like that's when the Maquis after the first year especially, that's when the Maquis elements and the second. They had that little mini plot basics. Where were, somebody was yeah, Seska. But after the second season, there really wasn't much you know, and then after that it, then when Seven joined the cast and everything was about, you know, create you know, developing that character and then Tom and Bolana's relationship and some characters are totally left out. But <laughs> but here developed. here's something that we see. We see Jane Way is very much alone throughout uh, the show. Um, and we'll, we'll just skip mention of certain holodeck episodes that take place in certain countries in Europe. Um, but she, um, you know, the, one of the questions that we see play out is with her fiancé, um, Mark, is it? I want to yes. say Mark. Yeah. How is Mark that? John- 
Say. Yeah. yeah, how is that going to play out? And we see this with we see this with Tuvok and his family. We we see some uh, the longing that they have. We see some relief in some cases with Tom Paris. There's a little bit of relief that he's not returning to the life that he left. That this is a bit of a reboot and a restart. Mm-hmm. We definitely see this with um, Harry Kim. Um, Belana Torres is dealing with being um, very much the only half Klingon and, and or the only one of Klingon ancestry and some of the perceived benefits as well as right. the challenges of that. So well, these... she has her own inner demons to keep her. I mean, she's cut off. From, she says at one point she's cut off from her family. Her, both, yeah. her mother and father are separated and she's separated from both of them. Yeah. And she's a Maquis and she's a loner. And now she's cut off from the Maquis. And she, I mean, she's she deals with her own. We can get into this later, obviously, but she's got her own uh, issues of depression and anxiety going on there, and, and and mother issues too that we get in Barge of the Dead. But yeah, Balan is just an amazing. But yet she's the engineer that you entrust the functioning of the ship with. So I loved I loved her character. Um, the it's it's really cool to see how some of those storylines do play out over time and how they cope. Um, what what sticks out to you about the ways in which they're coping with this isolation and, and, and how they find ways to deal with it? Because it, it's not just social isolation, but Janeway's also, every call is her own. She doesn't have an admiral to say, yeah, mm-hmm. you should do this or you shouldn't do that. She has to make all the hard decisions. She has to determine which of the Starfleet ideals that they maintain and she always maintains uh, high aspirational goals we are not going to sacrifice who we are well, so how do yeah. how do they deal with all of this this massive stress of being cut off of being alone and of um having to make it on their own well this is you know as the years have gone by the what i call the janeway army and they're not all just you know the feminists of star trek but a lot of people point out that when when the old debate used to be, you know, Kirk or Picard, and the Janeway army has been representing and saying, look, uh, Janeway didn't even have a bad burl <laughs> in her corner. <laughs> you know, get nobody, which is a lot to say, you know, 70,000 light years away, uh, just getting back. And, and, and yes, holding true to those to those uh, ideals and aspirations. And, and here's the thing. She articulates it early on. She's got Maquis. She's got these wacko aliens along the way from the from Kess and the Neelix Kazons, at first. yes. To the yes, Kazon yes. to eventually Borg, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, trusting a Borg. I mean, all of that, but she very clearly out of the gate, and maybe that's good because in the beginning it was scary, but it was easy to be, you know, clear. She says we're going to go home and we're going to we're going to do some we're going to keep our minds busy with some ex, uh, exploring. We're not just going to waste this opportunity. We're going to be Starfleet and explore, but we are also going to hold on to our deals, which was something that was brought into sharp relief all along the way. When every, every time from the beginning with the prime with the prime directive shows, you know, like oh, should we uh, get home faster and throw mm-hmm. that out the window? Mm-hmm. Down to. Captain Ransom and the Equinox. I mean, yeah, that's the yeah. the the uh, personification of it right there. You got a you got Mirror Janeway. Literally, was the guy that took the shortcuts, and you know, fate intervened, and we never did find out what happened to those three or four crew members they took aboard. They're, <laughs> no, they're that, just they're uh, working on all those shuttlecrafts they have, the hundreds yeah, of shuttlecrafts. Yeah, that, yeah, that they're voyage. busy with the show. But I mean, you did see her, and then there are all kinds of time. You know, Q comes aboard and teases her, but also tempts her yeah. with what's the quick fix we can do 
and they she will not buckle down. She's tempted, but that's what Year of Hell is all about, is yeah. how she won't buckle down. Yeah, you it's... <clears throat> it's it, falling around her, and she won't buckle down. This kind of ties into our previous episodes from Star Trek Picard um, and the importance of having um, having some sense of meaning and purpose, why you are doing what you're doing and what's guiding you through these crises. Having that meaning and purpose really helps, and a, a Voyager definitely had that. Um, Janeway says it in Caretaker at the very end. Their mission is to go home and form allies along the way, use new technologies, find wormholes, holes. Um, they do all of those things. And um, that, I think, helps her. And that, as well as everything, the values of Starfleet to bold to go, seek out new life, new civilizations, um, all of that helps her when she's dealing with the the massive uncertainty that is in front of them. But then also, there's there's a lot of fun stuff we see in Voyager that is just such a joy to rewatch. So, I love the movie nights. Um, I, I didn't so much when I was first originally seeing the show, but now I really love it looking at it from the perspective of 2020. Um, they are these shared experiences that the crew is having that gives them a little bit of distraction and a little bit of social connection in much the same way that you and I are doing life support live. And they're also very novel experiences. They're experiences, I don't mean that in a in a, a hollow novel Captain you know, Proton kind of way, but Captain Proton is also a great example of this, and Tom Paris does, does a lot of this as a character on the show. Um, finding ways to keep Keep people um, engaged with each other, no pun intended, and also a little distracted from each other. We all need that. Um, I'm going to talk about this when you get to the counselor's log, but there's... um, once you're about halfway through your period of isolation, it gets very hard. Uh, this is data coming out of um, research on people in isolation in Antarctica. Whether it's two weeks, a year, two years, for some reason, the halfway point, we sort of exhaust our, our resources of getting through it, and we need new ways to help us cope. That's kind of the situation I, I think, I think we're all lay, in right now. The lay term for that is the new has worn off. Yeah, yeah. Totally, totally, and and the the uh, your go to strategies are becoming a little bit less effective. Um, so we all need sort of a, a new a new way to have recreation with each other, and that's why I, I love the movie nights that they have because for them it's so different than what they usually do watching this two D entertainment, and they have like a wealth of all these movies that they can go to that of course yeah. you and I have never heard of. But, you know, that's copyrights <laughs> and different issues. Um, the crab people. <laughs> well, I I think, and I think maybe, like, if you go back, I, we all, that image of the 3D glasses is funny. And that was a great little bit. And that was filmed in the oldest uh, screening theater at Paramount, by the way. Oh, um, they, wow. I didn't look, know that. Uh, yeah. Well, if you ever, if we ever get to take a Trekland trek together, Ali, I'll show you. I would love that. But, uh, I mean, Enterprise is the show that really got going with the movie night mm-hmm. and they, you, you even see their menu of movies and all that. And Voyager, I, I don't know that they went to movie night so much, but what I think of that is, as you mentioned, Tom Paris, I, it's like, uh, one thing that we kind of get, I think sometimes the producers and thinking of the audience. And then we, as fans later on, we get a little lazy about remembering that they are really are supposed to be 
400 years ahead of us. Now, the conceit here is that this is all being made by 20th and 21st century people. And if it really was, as Gene said in the beginning, if we really did try to make a show about what humanity looks like 400 years in the future, it would probably be so boring to us or unrecognizable, it wouldn't be entertainment. So, again, (laughs) you're in that, like, compromise, right? But to have someone like Paris, whose whole hobby thing is, oh, I'm a 20th century guy. Well, how convenient. Too bad Paris wasn't like a a 22nd century guy. That would have been really informative for us. But but as the point of contact, so everything from his uh, car monkey to to Captain Proton, his old movies, to his movie night with the 3D movies and horror movies, everything he did of his 20th century goofy hobby, his nerd, the same thing with... uh, you know, Bashir and O'Brien on DS9 yeah, and all yeah, of yeah. their goofy man cave type, you know, holodeck uh, exploits. It's that same kind of feeling. But good thing for poor beleaguered Voyager, as they said, like in the very first episode or second episode, <laughs> that somehow the holodeck is running on a different circuit <laughs> than the rest of the ship. <laughs> so we may all starve, but by God, our holodecks are going to be <laughs> plugging right along. So we won't go too crazy. Because I think. The writers want to got to have something where you can put people in costume, whether it's poor Janeway's gothic romance that goes nowhere, or yes, even the dreaded Fairhaven shows. But whatever it is, it's like we have to have some relief for our own boredom and isolation, much less theirs. It's, yeah. it's you know. Yeah, uh, Zahir mentioned um, that he loves how Tom Paris loves to pilot ancient crafts like 20th century hot rods. And uh, how convenient for us that Tom Paris does have this 20th century fascination. But we see in that episode, I think we see some um, uh, in one of the episodes where he's uh, toying around with a car in the garage. We see him struggling with some aspects of depression and fatigue mm-hmm. and exhaustion from this journey. And I do love that about Voyager, that more than the other series, you see some of the drain that happens from this isolation. You know, it's something that NASA is really thinking about in terms of a mission to Mars. Right now, and every um, every mission that has had a human being on it, there has been, you've been able to have exercise, the number one recreation in yes. space, which is to look at Earth. When we get to Mars, I believe it's day 100-something on that journey, or on that journey to Mars, there will come a point where astronauts will no longer be able to see Earth. What happens then? And NASA's working on creating holodecks, their version of holodecks, like a like a virtual reality or uh, these... Um, like a virtual window that you can have that'll recreate some of that experience. But Voyager explored some of that challenge of not having that connection to home and being so distant from it and how difficult it must be. Yeah. And if we, I was kidding. I mean, on one hand, yes, it it kind of stretches credulity (laughs) about the holodeck being safely on its own power source. Right. But the whole notion of holography Holodecks didn't start with Next Generation, and yes, even our our sassy folks will say they had the rec deck in the animated series. They had that scene, <laughs> wanted it in the original series. It never made it to film. Mm. They talked about a rec deck, and then we get it on film with the with the um, well, not the motion picture, but they have a, a recreation big room that way. But as far as like holography and using that to simulate environments, you read the making of Star Trek from 1968 second season of the original series and gene is talking about wanting 
but that's this very thing you're talking about being cut off from home being homesick mm -hmm. and the mental health of crew and his initial take on holography was yes for mental health reasons but mainly just to let people like recreate environments from home like bring yeah. along home and have it there a lot the way which by the way picard <laughs> takes quite picard literally did. In Star Trek Picard. That you, that's exactly what I was about to say. That's the first time I think I've ever really saw anyone like bring home, literally, uh, you know, in a, as a holodeck suite. But right. there you go. They actually brought full circle with jeans. And if you look, here's what's funny. If you're a, if you're an old Canon Easton, you've got your original series set of blueprints from the mid 70s. Yeah. Uh, you see that they they filled that Franz Joseph filled out the big ship, like all the unknowns we didn't know about. Well, he went from Gene's notes that, that are in the making up book, and there are <laughs> I say millions. There are like hundreds of little personal hologram cubicles and mm -hmm. some larger spaces, like they would be considered holo suites and holo holodecks now. But the whole point was for individual crewmen to go in and sit down and just sit like they're they call up their they dial up their own home mm. or anything from Earth, a beach, a mountain, anything that reminds them back home of Earth. And you know, presumably in our little seventies consciousness, we'd say, "Oh, and I guess the Vulcans aboard could have scenes of Vulcan, and the Regillians could have scenes of Rigel, whatever the number of the sea." You know, yep. yep. Everybody could have their home there, but, but that's the way he conceived the best mental health aid he was looking at was using home. And this he, whole thing about using it for recreation, yeah, I don't think quite. In the consciousness of '60s creatives and '70s, was you know it didn't come along until using it for recreation. Even Next Generation, the first time you see it used, well, Data is on a creek stream, but then the first time you see someone actually demonstrate the holodeck, it's Tasha showing how she trains. So yeah, training, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, is kind of the secondary thing. It's like we mental health for home. Home, combat homesickness and then train with it. But this whole thing of having your Dixon Hills and your Captain Protons yeah. was truly something that came later. But it's all part of keeping everybody connected. We, we, have, um, we have some aspect of that now that because of the internet, you can do now these virtual tours. You can um, go to places now from your home when you're sheltering in place in a way that you couldn't quite before. And some of our TVs and sound systems, are it's almost like the Fahrenheit 459. Um, is it Fahrenheit 459? 51. 51! Gosh, I'm off. Um, but there's this idea in that book, uh, Ray Bradbury's book, about these walls that are basically just screens. Well, we basically have that now. So there's there's ways to be able to do that now in a, in a way that I think does help people when they are stuck at home. But uh, Larry, here's, here's one thing that I have to, as a psychologist on the show. We have an EMH. Why don't we have an... Um, why don't we have a psychiatrist <laughs> programming protocol in the EMH? Um, an EMP? Yeah, yeah. Like well, uh, Tom Paris. Trying to think of an EMP is very deadly because that's an electromotive. Well, policy. you don't want that. You don't want that. Um, I'm sure the Borg have that. But um, th that was one thing that bothered me. Is so Tom Paris kind of gets trained as a nurse, as does Kess. But then we also. Uh, kind of see Tuvok step into that role of being the ship's counselor and his go-to treatment for everyone is just Vulcan meditation, which is surprisingly effective at treating everything right. from sociopathy and these desires to murder people to homesickness to uh, to everything. It's, it's quite a miracle cure. 
<laughs> he takes yeah, he takes he steps in to help a uh, 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 suitor. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> pathological murderer suitor. He he steps in to help Kess. He steps in to help. Well, uh, he he kind of quasi cancels Neelix at times, which is kind of funny. But I mean, yeah, he he went and of course Janeway. He's Janeway's. He's like the McCoy figure. She yeah, has yeah. To go to the first officer, but. He tries to McCoy, as McCoy was Kirk's confidant on the side, whether officially or not. He's kind of that role for her. So um, Ryan says uh, Vic yeah. Fontaine is the virtual uh, psychologist or psychiatrist, which I, I do definitely do agree, agree with. And Ryan earlier meant that uh, also said Tom Paris is the goat. You know, I wasn't a huge Tom Paris fan when I originally watched the series. Now, in retrospect, I think I would most be Tom Paris in this crew. I would not be Bellana. I would not be Janeway. I would not be Tuvok. Um, although I love his his ethics and the confidentiality that Tuvok must have. Um, Tom Paris is in many ways how I think I would be functioning on that ship. And in light of coronavirus and COVID, we all need a Tom Paris in our life. We all need someone who's going to say, hey, let's try doing this thing together. I think this might be fun. We really need that in May of 2020. Yes, 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 yes. I really... My sad personal fact with Voyager is that my whole experience with it is is if is from a front row seat, and if not just personal items, just the overall feeling of it had so much more potential that it wasn't allowed to reach to. And then it also, of all the series, even Enterprise, suffered the most from revolving, um, just revolving uh, showrunners. It started mm-hmm. off with Jerry and Michael, and then Brannon, and then then it was just Brannon. And then Ken at the end, and I, I some of the consistency that people have issues with, uh, the lack of consistency, kind of go back to that. Just that it didn't have an overarching uh, person. Same thing the Next Generation had, but it was it grew as it went along, and Voyager was busy reinventing itself to stay separate, the way all the shows have. But um, but I think given all of that, and given the time of years going by, um, I really should sit down and watch more Voyager again, and mm-hmm. kind of lose those original. Those filters that it, I saw it through, you know. It's more than um, the we Deep so Space Nine. Right? A great way to make a connection. Oh, uh, yeah, more than Deep Space Nine. It's a very show to get get in and out of and experience in a bite sized way. I think that's a criticism of Deep Space Nine. You you sort of need to, okay, I'm in Deep Space Nine mode now, and I'm just going to watch Deep Space Nine Voyager. It's like Next Generation. You you can get in and out. There's a beauty of that. Uh, my friend, Doctor Trek, can we can we start the counselor's log? Oh, let's go to the counselor's log. I think this briefing's gone on good enough, but it it really does. The one thing I'll take away from this is we think about, like you said at the beginning, Voyager collectively being isolated from uh, the Alpha Beta, from local space, from known space. But they built in consciously. Well, part of this is just character building for future, you know, development. But all the characters carried around their own. You know their own, and we were we were privy to that, and we got to watch most of that develop. Uh, privy to their own isolation, Kim was a mama's boy and was you know cut off from his parents, and and even people who already felt cut off now like Paris and like Bellana, which now that I think about it is probably why they wound up together. Um, <laughs> but even you know Paris was estranged from his father and his own life he'd been up starfleet he screwed it up he'd been a mucky and screwed up that and didn't know what he was doing and was a screw up in prison in correctional facilities and 
everybody had their own, I don't say demons, but their own feelings for being cut off. The doctor was a created entity, was an AI, but he felt cut off from humanity as an AI and yeah. was trying to, you know, symbolize by looking for a name. Yeah. So his path. So anyway, well, it, it's amazing looking at them all, how they all had something seeded in. Chakotay, I don't, I've always felt badly for for Robert and for Chakotay's character. I don't think it ever got its due. No. It's the. Due. I really love the Chakotay episodes we got, but there were not enough of them. Um, but that's a really great segue, um, what you just described, Larry, to the let's, Counselor's let's, Log. Let's the Counselor's yeah, Log. Yeah, so Counselor's Log, this is our segment where I am talking about the mental health and psychology of Voyager and how it relates to right now. And there's there's so much keep- here. <laughs> What's that? I said, I'll keep you honest. And you, yeah, and you push me um, in, in all the ways that I need to be pushed and prodded. Um, there's so many ways in which Voyager relates to right now. There's, there's a lot of good research. Now, there's no research that completely looks at every single piece of the situation we're in right now. But there's stuff we can draw from, like I mentioned before, the research on uh, scientists in Antarctica. But also um, people who are in quarantine situations. What helps them what helps them to get through and the number one most important having information and updates about their quarantine how long they're going to be in there why they're in there the why is really important Larry we keep coming back to that from Star Trek uh, Picard and forward from our first episode meaning and purpose why am I in this situation it's for the greater good the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, as right. we mentioned in last week's episode. So information, meaning. And then what seems to be so important here is that connection, being able to see your friends and family, being able to be in communication with them. And this was the, one of the biggest moments in Star Trek Voyager is when Barclay finally broke through that communication challenge and made contact with. You see the change for good and bad with the Maquis finding out that the Maquis have been destroyed, Janeway figuring out that um, Mark has moved on. But you also see great moments of joy and connection and how much that helped the crew to move forward. Something else that's really important here is uh, if we had to sum up the research about being in isolation for prolonged periods of time, you know, there's this profound risk of anxiety, depression, of post-traumatic experiences. The number one thing that seems to be most important here is to be flexible about the uncertainty and about the limitations that you have being in the situation. And I, I think we see that to some degree in Voyager, that this crew is, they know that things, look, I mean, Neelix is your cook. Like, you gotta, Leola root every night, right? Um, and, like, the cheese get infects the bioneural gel packs. Like, this is a very flexible crew in in some ways similar to ds9 you're they're working on a cardassian space station you see that struggle and they let go at some point and realize okay there's only so much we can do voyagers in the same way i I think you have to be compassionate about yourself and the situation you're in and flexible about the the limitations that we all have that seems to be the most important skill to get through these prolonged periods of isolation yeah uh um I was going to say we were talking, when we were recapping Picard a minute ago. One of the the uh, the limitations or the, the the battle, as it were, between all the things you know you should do to combat 
your your separation, your 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 isolation feelings. One of them is to have uh, clarity, good thoughts, no no facts, and coming out of the Picard series and next year. But what combats that is what we talked about the second week with DS Nine, which is the uncertainty. It's like for all mm-hmm. your good plans. What's still hanging out there is the uncertainty, and not to totally circle back, but that's that's like the devil in the details of all <laughs> your plans for having a strategy to deal with isolation. Is just when you're in a situation like now, like they were. Will we get, will we wake up tomorrow and have a wormhole? Or are we really yeah. going to need seventy years to do this? Yeah. You know, will we will Q actually come pop in and relent and let us get home? Dan um, Dan on Facebook has a wonderful comment. Larry, we did not think of this at all. The doctor oh. was isolated in Voyager sickbay and holodeck until the advent of Future's End. That wonderful episode where they traveled <laughs> in 1996 or so. 19, um, yeah. yeah. 1996 L.A., yes. <laughs> At Venice Beach, I think, uh, L.A., um, all over. That's a, that's a beautiful example because originally they were excluding the doctor from the briefing room. Mm-hmm. They they then made sure that he had the connection through the the, the view screen. Um, he couldn't turn himself on and off. He didn't have that sense of control and agency in his life. So we see them in Voyager create this connection, giving him some agency, giving him some flexibility in ways that we all need right now. And then later making sure that he has privilege for recreation as well being able to go to the holodeck use it in a way that helps him distract himself from the stressors of the day we all need that as well um i think that's a beautiful comment uh dan and really really brings together everything we're talking about here larry maybe if we're all using the same and the correct um uh, Skype or Dan can try to actually get in with this. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Dan, we'd love to talk to you about that um, when you open up the hailing frequencies. Um, Larry, there's some great examples in, in real life of people doing these things, you know, and this is where I'm tying it back to your episode as well, um, Prophecy. What's what's so great about that episode and seeing this multi-generational Klingon crew is they have a clear sense of mission and purpose. Why are they doing this? Why are they isolating themselves why are they venturing far from the alpha quadrant and there's there's leaders who have really done that well right now if if you watched um angela merkel's uh, address to the german people she made it very clear this is why we are asking you to socially isolate this is why we're asking you to stay at home it is for all of us it's for all of germany it was really a beautiful speech. We all need those moments right now. And I think the story that you helped create is, is a wonderful example of that. Yeah, it's 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 the upside and the downside because you had a you had a group of zealots, you know, ideological zealots leaving. So as a as a scientific example, oh my god, we've got a ship full of Klingons in the Delta Quadrant. How bizarre is that? You know, a hundred year old, two hundred year old ship here. <laughs> A true old-fashioned sci-fi concept generational ship, but they've also developed this disease mm-hmm. <laughs> that affects them, you know, and they've developed this, and it's just honed in on this ideology of finding their their savior child eventually. Um, and I, the the term escapes me because that wasn't part of our original story, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think of that script the way it turned out as um, as being an isolation story. But you're absolutely right. It's sometimes isolation, even with a group in isolation. Yeah. 
the benefit of being part of the whole is um, you're losing your aware. I mean, you're, the, the downside is you're losing your greater awareness and everything turns back in on itself. And if you're surviving, that's okay. And if you're even thriving somehow, that's okay. And they've been dealing with a disease, so they've still survived. So, and they're Klingons, so it's not like they have the biggest medical database in the world. Yeah, the, this, but they survive. This ties everything together too, um, in much the same way that Dan is. Dan is on fire, giving us episode recommendations that tie into now, in much the way that Dan is doing. So, what we see in in that episode is this multi generational ship. We see the Klingons; they have a clear sense of mission and purpose. But we also see the importance of um, what. NASA psychologists work on, which is rapid brain and behavioral feedback. When you are in close isolation with each other for a prolonged period of time, as the astronauts are on the International Space Station, you have to get very good at managing conflict, at dealing with emotions, at doing rituals with each other that help you to have some sense of bond. All of us, whoever we're isolating with, you know, it, there's been conflict. There, there's been ups and downs, and we have to get very good at dealing with those ups and downs because we can't just leave. We can't just get a break and go hang out with a friend or get some alone time. It's very hard to do those things. And you know, this isn't space, but it's a lot the same at the South Bay at the South Pole bases. Yes. And the last two or three or four years, there have been some news reports of. Uh, even though they go through a kind of a screening too, I think people don't think of it as rigorous yep. as a space mission, but it's still isolated. And there have been a time or two when people have, oh, I don't know, what's the extended uh, psychological correct term? Gone on a tear. Uh, <laughs> they've, they've had some people crack and uh, and one time caused harm to another person. Down, you know, had an episode or something. Yeah, it's so it's it, a very it, challenging know, situation. It's yeah. uh, when you are in prolonged isolation, it sort of can uh, really bring to clarity the things that are <laughs> some of your biggest strengths and the things that are your greatest weaknesses, <laughs> which I think many of us are really uh, struggling with right now. And the biggest struggle, Larry, uh, the last thing I want to talk about here in the counselor's log is isolation. I worry very much about people who were isolated alone or, or struggling with connection to other people prior to coronavirus because as COVID-19 started to become the the norm, it was even harder to manage isolation. And I'm going to make a parallel here. We'll see what you think. Okay. I'm going to argue this is part of the reason why Seska did what she did on Star Trek Voyager. She's the only Cardassian on the ship. Cardassians at this time were very much the enemy of not only the Federation, but also Maquis. Oh, the Maquis. um, And she had no one to confide in, no one to talk to about this. She was completely isolated. I know she's she's a wonderful villain and a great foil for Voyager and Janeway, but I want to make an argument that Seska's challenges, they might have had their roots in complete isolation, an isolation that was brought on by the fact that she could not be in contact with anyone who she felt comfortable talking to. It could have made her more desperate. I mean, she was an agent. She was an intelligence agent. She mm-hmm. was a Cardassian um, um, <clears throat> Obsidian Order agent infiltrating the Maquis, who is, the, you know, per, as, as a Bajoran of all things, 
you know, until she's unmasked. So now she, now she's a middle of a she's a maquis in the middle of a Starfleet crew. I mean, she was like all these hoops. So she had the training and the oomph there. But you're right, I hadn't hadn't thought about that quite um, quite the same way. Bruce, the only who's who can't even be Cardassian for the first few weeks. Right, right, she's, right. Uh, Bruce says the show would be more uh, 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 yeah. it'd more relate to us now if Voyager was searching for toilet paper in the Delta Quadrant and that that's the last thing here about isolation um, people need access to supplies they um, that is a great way to reduce stressors for people who are in isolation they need to know that they don't have to worry about how they're going to get the things that they need now Voyager solves that problem with replicators although they go offline oh there there yeah. was there's all like every other week there was a thing we need of the week and right. they would invent it like right. oh right. we need a warp coil tangent indicator <laughs> photonic emitter or something you know or we need a new come up with a new mineral what the lithium is not good enough for you no no we we need syndication okay good okay fine so uh um, larry i'm gonna close up the log here and i want to take us to the k3 factor you might have already alluded to this week's k3 factor this is where we get the deep cut um connection back to the original series that k3 meter of mental health here well the yeah the k3 factor for all the old timers uh or the veteran fans k3 was like we in our initial search for icons from the original series for mental health since it turned there were some psychologists dr mccoy talked about but mccoy wound up being the de facto psychologist for the crew it feels like um with or without a psycho order but the k3 factor was on the monitor screens above all the bio beds in sick bay um and it was it was supposedly labeled to indicate brain waves i think we've got the graphic there but uh so what i try to bring to uh, the real doctor's side of the show <laughs> Is a throwback that's looking at our theme through um, through a real world making of go back to what Doctor Trek does, which is bring the backstage. And what came to me thinking about Voyager and isolation and making connections, uh, something you're not going to expect here, hmm. Doctor Ali. Hmm. Um, one of the writers named Joe Minoski was an interesting, interesting guy, and he had a quirky. He has, he has a quirky personality. He's resurfaced and come back, and uh, he wrote on. Um, Discovery for a while. He hmm. wrote on the Orville for a while. But huh. Joe was the guy, back when um, the technology was new, who was a reluctant writer. He was so talented, but he wasn't a Hollywood guy. And we've had people in chat talk about this, too. And I want to talk about this before we, before we give up the show. Yeah. About the people for whom isolation is, like, the preferred manner yeah. of working. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And in a lot of ways, that was Joe. And there were times when he would go on a sabbatical. They had to convince him to come to LA and yet back in the early days he took a year or two on his stint on Next Generation late in the game and a couple of times on Voyager also he co-wrote a lot with with uh, Brandon with Brandon Braga and especially on some of the two-parters but Joe would work just fine from isolation he was he he was staying at a convent in Italy he had nothing to do with being female and becoming a catholic <laughs> A member of the clergy, but he would go find these isolating places and write from. And in the nineties, it was a shocking new technology. He would fax his pages in. Oh wow! <laughs> and then he did kind of the same thing again later on uh, at times. But what I'm saying here is, he, it's a trendsetter. But he's a type person who has, and he had some misses, obviously. But there are some classic, classic shows Joe uh, contributed to on Next Generation and Voyager. Um, and he did it from isolation. 
basically. A self, self-chosen isolation, but found ways to be productive you know, on his own and do that. And I, and I reminds me that we have a lot of folks, and I've seen people talking just in general yeah. about how these days are just fine with them. Yeah, yeah, we, we got a comment they're about not, that. not addictive, but they're watching the rest of the world struggle with it and say, like I said, hopefully not vindictive, but at least say, now can you have some empathy for the way, flip the coin, the way I feel when I'm forced to be social all the time? Yeah. And I think we've had some chat folk just today here talking about that. Uh, we absolutely have. And this is something that keeps coming up every week. Someone is mentioning that. This is probably my favorite K3 factor, Larry, of, of Life Support Live. This is completely unexpected. I did not think you're going to go in this direction at all. And um, I really... Welcome to Trekland, Dr. Ali. That's what we... <laughs> always unexpected and always... Um, not, always... Not a, yeah. yeah. So that... that that's really great. It reminds me of what um, um, the two writers of Star Trek Beyond, um, um, he plays Scotty. Well, yeah, I've gone blank, too. I've gone blank. Chat. And somebody jump in and scream at us. Yes, yes. Chat hey, section, Simon please, Peck. please Simon scream Peck. at us. Yes, uh, Simon Pegg and um, I'm forgetting the name. Of the writing partner. But that's basically how they wrote Star Trek Beyond. They locked themselves away in a hotel, I believe in the UK. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, But they watched the original series and went on these walks and talked about what Star Trek Beyond is going to be. And then they wrote and they wrote in isolation. And for some people, it's not only the preferred way to work, but more preferred way to live as well. Um, a great perspective that someone gave me in the last few weeks is, you know, many of us who have been on these Zoom meetings that are very difficult to manage for so many reasons. You're seeing yourself. Um, that can be overwhelming. You don't know who to look at. There's noises. There's distractions. Um, it's exhausting to be on those meetings all day. I was on one yesterday for four hours straight. That was that was fun. And... Um, <laughs> No, I'm being sarcastic for those of you who are listening to this and not seeing my face. Um, it's I've heard some someone told me, hey, this is what um, I'm on the autism spectrum. And this is what normal everyday reaction uh, in social interactions are like for me. They're overwhelming. They're exhausting. They're very hard for me to do long term. Um, I don't know where to look. I don't know how to deal with this. So there's a I, I gain such a profound sense of empathy in that moment um, just for what it must be like. So all of our brains are wired a little bit differently as as the great um, Temple Grandin says, the world needs all types of brains. And I'm going to extend that by saying the world needs all types of ways to live and work. And many of us are forced now into a situation that might be difficult for us. But for some people, this is super helpful to be largely working on your own, to be controlling your environment, and to be able to get the social contact that you want, but not have it forced upon you. This is this is a great situation to be in. It is. Uh, it's. I don't know that their voices. I'm still waiting for a late night host or a, a, a comedian somewhere to have or some meme to break through some viral video but but this is a concept that's bubbling under the surface and i don't know that it's hit the mainstream i mean some of us that live online and we see a lot of content going by but as far as hitting the national consciousness or the global consciousness i don't think that's a uh a, a, you know a very valid point and something that just adds more texture to the big 
the big tapestry. We keep going back uh, to that one. Ah, you know how to pull my strings there, Larry. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> by the way, thank you, Dan. Um, it's Doug Junk. Doug Junk was a co-writer who also appears yeah. in the movie as uh, Sulu's um, husband as well um, yeah. and the father to We're their daughter. Great, so there's some great comments in the chat here and people are... are are jumping in and scott here is back and saying the idea that some of the characters in voyager don't they get they get uneasy yeah. at the end it's like oh i've gotten used to being isolated or i prefer this is uh reflecting his feelings about not wanting to go back to normal now after isolation yeah i, I want to say that that is that's probably one of my biggest frustrations with voyager is um there's this whole phase of this situation we haven't dived into yet larry which is the i'm calling it reconstruction what happens next and the opening um and returning to a new world that's going to be different than the post uh, the pre-world we had pre-coronavirus world we haven't seen that with voyager how do they reacclimate uh, we don't janeway becomes an admiral we see her in nemesis but like what happened to her until Star Trek Picard. We see that with yes. Seven now. And Echep, we well, rest in peace. Um, right. Uh, but we we see that with Seven, that that reintroduction, it's not it's not smooth. It's It can be a very difficult process. And we see that with astronauts. We see that with scientists mm-hmm. returning from remote regions. We well, see that from people who've served in the military coming back into service after being on um, on an aircraft carrier for a I, long period of time or a submarine. submarine. Or, well, or, yeah. and also people coming back from, you know, a, 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 an isolation, if not individually isolated like soldiers, how about a socially isolating event like the Vietnam era veterans coming back and not getting the reception that the World War II veterans got or even the Korean, you know? Socially, I'm thinking – Look at the what we now call the greatest generation, the, the depression, which was sacrifice, cut back, altered their lifestyles, and then – and at the same time, technology changing. And then the whole World War II generation, which really fed – it was like one yeah. after the other, which is why the baby boom happened. People were like, yep. after 20 years, we can finally be normal. <laughs> but also there was a lot of – you know, you had the normal we, – we didn't have the terms and the vocabulary to talk about PTSD. It was still shell shock, right, and combat fatigue. You know, and, and Patton slapping that soldier, which kind of woke up people to thinking, no, wait a minute, maybe we should look at this differently. Yeah. But socially, since the entire society was involved in the Depression and then a world war and all the sacrifice, self-sacrifice or imposed sacrifice, that 20 years like that, basically, then there was that big, you know, people said, let's get back to normal. Well, you'd had a whole generation go by like, well, what does normal even look like now? What does normal look like where we started this? People barely had radios and now we have atomic bombs and TV. I mean, and what we're facing, what I think now is people, as Scott kind of alluded to, other people talk about this. It's like we can't we see this with our politics and with how are we going to look deal with some of our social issues yep. that this is exposed. We can't go back to normal. We can't go back to 2019. Yeah, because won't suit us too much has happened already that we should have learned from and we will be lesser if we cast away the things that we should have learned if we try to go back to normal like you hear a lot of reactionary talk about people that just want to go back to the 50s well there were a lot of casualties in the 50s (laughs) it wasn't such a great time for me for people like (laughs) me nostalgia (laughs) has its limits guys every era is like that but when you get 
caught up in too much, you know, broad brush nostalgia for a past, even if it was nostalgia after a traumatic social mass social event like we're in now. Nostalgia for just even two years ago or a year ago might not be the best thing. Yeah. When we say let's get back to normal. So, you know, there's danger in that until we're all on the same page. And I'm I'm afraid that we will not all be on the same page because people's experience is, you know, and I don't know what to do with that aside from have everybody be unemployed or have everybody lose somebody yeah. to the disease. That's a horrible, you know, uh, sounds like way a, to get at it. Sounds... But I hope we could all agree on the same page of what we ought to do that shouldn't have been just normal and we've learned from it yeah you know i think that's a great topic for us to explore another episode and i'm just realizing now too that star trek discovery the new season of star trek discovery is probably going to go into some similar directions as voyager did um the isolation and being cut off uh bruce says that the post voyager novels uh really explore a lot of these themes yeah so that's definitely (laughs) something to look into night angel uh, dk on twitch says that um, regarding um, autism spectrum and Asperger's, if you don't have a job, then you lack structure. I have Asperger's and losing my daily structure ended in sleeping most of the day away until my boyfriend helped me pick myself back up. So that's that's something we've talked about on the show over and over again is having a routine, having a structure. The astronauts on the International Space Station rely on that. Their schedule is really set day by day. They don't really have a chance to get lost into thinking too much about the fact that they're in a tin can floating around um, um, yeah. the earth too much, which, so. which which includes their personal time, and they're all encouraged to bring along their hobbies as, as you know within limits, and that's why you see the Trekkie astronauts with their uniforms occasionally. Yeah, <laughs> on you know, the they, the things that are nearest and dearest to them, and some of them it's their it's their geek gear, mm-hmm. and you know even even things like that. But yeah, the personal time for themselves. And they have to take it with them. So it's good to see NASA being smart about all the ways that they can keep themselves, you know, structure and what the structure even can include being structured. <laughs> so, Larry, I think I want to go quickly into uh, this week's away mission. Uh, this is yeah. the segment where I give you a possible away mission. If you want to practice exploring some of the things we're talking about um, in a way that can help you cope with this situation, I've got an away mission for you. It's probably not what you think. This gets back to, uh, as as much as uh, uh, Dr. Trek's uh, uh, K3 factor was a bit of a surprise. I'm going with a bit of, of a surprise as well. And it'll probably be a surprise to people who know me very well because I wasn't a big episode of, or I wasn't a big fan of these episodes. But it's about Captain Proton. Uh, it is about Captain Proton. We all need a Captain Proton right now. So what does that mean? What am I What am I talking about, Larry? What are you saying? Yeah, it's something yeah. I ask myself all the time, all day long. Cap- what are you crazy? <laughs> Captain Proton was a hollow novel that uh, was introduced mid-show. I forget what season, Larry. Maybe you remember. Was that fifth season? Fifth season. Fifth season. So beautiful, right there. It's kind of in the middle of their journey, and we are all—we're not in that first phase anymore. We're—we're we're in the middle of this thing, and um, we need new stuff at this point. We need new ways of coping. Captain Proton was a new hollow novel. It was very different. It was black and white. It was science fiction. It was Star Trek doing—it was Starfleet doing its own version of science fiction, which is hilarious. Um, 
But it's it was so different, and the characters are like, what is this? We all need that. So we all need some kind of social activity that brings us together through the internet or with the people we are sheltering in place with that is very different than the stuff that we've been doing before because we all lack novelty right now. We all lack new experiences and new situations. And when we keep doing the same thing over and over again, you habituate to it. You get used to it. It kind of gets a little boring. So we all need a new story, a new way of getting people together. We need a Captain Proton experience. What I am trying to do um, Ryan and Lowen and Matt, if you are watching this right now, I think Ryan was watching this earlier. We're trying to get a Star Trek RPG um, online where we are playing through um, through FaceTime or Zoom. We haven't figured it out, but we're trying to do, uh, I think it's called Star Trek Adventure, I think is what it's called. Star Trek Adventure is the new, uh, yes, yeah. the new. If if anyone uh, has done it, yeah if, if anyone's done it in the comment section and you like it or don't like it let me know because we're we're trying to get up that off the ground but you know my family we were doing uh, we started doing these uh, YouTube Broadway musical workouts together which was just hilarious to see my daughter try to do that it was a lot of fun um, we need novelty excitement surprise in our social situations right now. So we have to push the envelope in, in, in much of the same way that Tom Paris did with Captain Proton. That's my away mission, is to find a way to bring a little bit of newness to your social situations. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I said this, and now thinking about the Voyager parallel, I've said all along that if we had to have a pandemic like this, mm-hmm. it's good it's now, and not even, say, 10 or 15 years ago, because we've got this yeah. technology. yeah. And all you know, we can keep businesses rolling. We can keep artists arting, but we can also keep our connections going all the ways, thanks to the easy access to video streaming and live streaming that we've got now that we didn't have ten or it would have been hardcore techies with it ten years ago or fifteen, you know, even worse. And you wonder what Voyager's situation would have been like if that if this had happened to a you know a post Kirk era ship where they didn't have holodecks. To go in and keep, like, what would their levels of sanity look like? Uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't have Captain Proton and, for better or for worse, <laughs> Fairhaven or the Oregon Trail or their graphic, whatever it is, you know. Um, I, I just realized there's kind of a parallel there. What if, what if Voyager happened, but a hundred years earlier? What if there was a ship thrown to the Delta Quadrant that was going to take seventy years to get back in Kirk's time? that didn't have all this fancy dancy technology to help fill in the gaps of connection and, um, and recollection anyway. So that's your way mission. And with that, we want to open our hailing frequencies. Our our hailing frequencies are now open. Um, So if you'd like to talk to us, we think we've figured out the problem. Um, So right there, Um, the Skype, Username you want to use is life support live host. Text us at life support live host, and we can in, bring in you, Skype. In Skype, yep. yep. Life support live host, <laughs> and we should be able to uh, bring you onto the show. We'd love to chat with you all and um, talk a little bit more. Uh, we'd love to see you and have you on video with us. If you don't um, have the capability or desire to do that, that's fine. We'd love to talk to you as well. So the hailing frequencies are open and um, I'm getting a lot of uh, a lot of folks who have experience DMing here on Star Trek Adventure. I, I, 
thing I see the can I can I jump back up to something before we get please to that? please folks, do we were talking about the Voyager novels yeah and uh, thank you Scott I mean Bruce um, and uh, Raceland fifty three are so far still our one uh, twi- uh, Twitch viewer. I think we have two now I think we have Was two one, huh we have two we have two we've doubled our Twitch audience oh my god we've had <laughs> oh yes there's night and get night night night, night angel. And, Night Angel DK. Yeah. Yay, Night Angel. You're number two, but you're trying harder. You've doubled us. Yeah. But Raceland53 um, <laughs> is asking about the authors. Well, uh, Christy Golden was the kind of the first generation Voyager post-return book author. But then very famously, um, uh, Kristen Beyer did a wonderful job. And now she's got pulled in as one of the first novelists to ever be – not the first because uh, Gar and Judy and Melinda – snodgrass along the way but um kristen was so good she was invited by brian fuller into the discovery uh writing cast that she was the bottom of the rung because she hadn't done tv before and that's been one of the best things brian did for this current crop because she's you know she kind of co-created the idea for picard and Mm -hmm. is just right in there if there's a little bit of cool canon sneaked into a script somewhere or canon building i i thank her but those yeah between the two between christy and kirsten that's why the post-Voyager novels that get into some of these themes uh, that we never got to see on camera, on screen. Um, but somebody's asking about authors. There's the two big ones right there. And there may be some more now, but those two right there are a great place to start. But look, get back to your um, your gaming. I'm just thinking back to like the FASA roleplay games and mm-hmm. then the last Unicorn era of gaming. But yes, start. in fact, I don't know if I can say this or not, but I just found out that Star Trek Adventures people, in, in looking at their new modules got in touch with me about potentially using some elements from uh, Stellar Cartography. Stellar Cartography, so, wonderful. Yeah. So uh, keeping the inner continuity going there on the license side, which is being picked up by camera. I mean, Discovery used the star charts for the Klingon border areas, which was great. For those and, of uh, you who, who, of, yeah. who might be coming in from the psych show and <laughs> are unfamiliar, but um, if you really like maps like this... Uh, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek, a few years ago, came out with Stellar Cartography, which is a beautiful, beautiful exploration of all things maps and Star Trek. So if you like that scene in Star Trek Generations where you see Stellar Cartography, you will like Stellar Cartography by Dr. Trek over here. Really highly recommend it. To Mike Okuda mm-hmm. and then Jeff Mandel too. I was building on their shoulders. Yep, but uh, yeah, the great, the greats great. right over there. Let's see. Um, if let us know in the comments if anyone's having trouble uh, with Skype. Um, if anyone wants to join us on the show, uh, feel free to. You can also comment what your username is, and we'd love to um, get you onto the show. Um, Paula, thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, Paula said she had to run. Break. Hey, here's a question, yeah. Uh, Ali. Yeah. Uh, from Giovanni Sanchez, he says, can you give us alcoholic and coke addicts advice mm-hmm. in the Mrs. Rona vibes that isn't filled with whiteness? Right now, my advice would be to really understand how any type of substance might be uh, what it might be doing for you. So um, there's things in the short term it's doing that you might 
experience as a benefit and then in the long term there might be problems associated with it that's why i'm guessing you're probably asking this question and so the very first thing you kind of have to understand is it what's the um, therapist might say what's the function it's serving in your life what's the benefits benefits it's giving you and then what are the less beneficial things what are the parts of it that are causing it um causing you problems and then once you have a better sense of that, then you can have a better sense of what are other ways in which I can address the things that it's doing for me and what are things that I can do that can make it easier for me to resist using it. So you, you need you need things to be added to your life that can help you meet those same functions and then you need to change your environment in a way that makes it easier not to use. So um, in a shelter-in-place situation, that means um, if there are substances in your home, Home that have been very difficult for you, removing them from your home, that's a big thing that's going to help you. And um, I'm guessing things like boredom or connection or loneliness, it's probably a lot of those feelings are probably increasing your desires to use. So finding ways to address those is going to be um, going to be really helpful. And community and connection and probably one of the reasons why you might be here that's that's a great place to start um and sharing yeah. that with someone else um yeah. in your life uh is giovanni be- had a follow up sorry yeah giovanni he said we work in fast food and we're being thrown out like petri dishes Whew. i mean larry this is a thing that you were alluding to a little bit earlier with uh when we were talking about reconstruction and what life looks like moving forward is we really have to think about how how is our society set up now where um, in America, I know this sounds ridiculous to a lot of our international folks, people outside the United States, mm-hmm. but Larry and I live in California in the United States, and this is a place where if you lose your job, you lose all your health insurance which is ridiculous in a time of pandemic like it makes which is changing with the covered california which is our version of obamacare and they have made it open and they've they've gone against the national grain and reopened it for people who are losing jobs losing their health care because they're losing their job and their health care was attached to their job yeah and they've uh covered california which is california's obamacare um they've made it available you have to go down and apply and they've made it available with financial help so that's, but that's sadly that's when you said we're in California. I started to say we're in kind of an island of people that yeah. go by date and people that are doing things rationally. <laughs> the whole country is not um, under that kind of situation, though. Yeah, so, so. we um, we have to we have to rethink these frustrating. things. And the one yeah. one thing that I've really uh, one thing that gives me a little bit of hope here is um, there's a bit more opening up of telehealth solutions so it's becoming a little bit easier for you to access a healthcare provider uh, virtually but larry there's still so many problems i was just talking to a psychologist at stanford university earlier this week and she was telling me that their students um have had to go home and a lot of their students are not californians and they're in other parts of the country and they used to come to Stanford's Counseling Center to get psychological support and services. But those counselors cannot help someone in Nebraska because of state licensing laws. And so how 
Do you go from I had my weekly appointments with my person on campus to now I'm in a state where I can't access anyone. I don't live near anyone. All those people are full. There's a lot of national reconfiguring of access and care and support that we're probably going to spend the next decade. I hope we spend years and years working on this and trying and to if figure they've out. Gone, if they've gone back to Nebraska, there's no state, there's no governmental led anything. It's all just wild west. If you, if you feel like staying home, you can, and hopefully your boss won't punish you because there's no sick leave support. There's no stay at home orders. They're not even like talking about the, they're not testing prisoners in jails. And I was just watching the news on this, but yeah, it's, it's a, you, you quickly, <clears throat> there's, you know, sadly, there are all kinds of social issues we have to deal with that sometimes get swept under the rug in all these different facets. And I've said it before, coronavirus is a great equalizer, yeah. but there's still not a complete equality. If nothing, But if one thing it's done is rip the Band-Aid off so that more people can see these issues inherent, and corona has just amplified the problems across the board with you know, equal pay and equal treatment and health care access and all transportation, I mean, all housing, all these things. Yeah. And if we're smart, we will try to make the silver lining of this mess dealing with it. And that may not happen unless we give a good hard look at who we're letting make our you know political decisions for us. Absolutely. Because, it, yeah. The countries that have been best to – the countries who really looked at what happened with SARS and who were affected by SARS in the early 2000s and reconfigured themselves – to be able to deal with that type of crisis. Countries like Taiwan have been much better prepared for dealing with uh, the coronavirus. I think Taiwan has had, uh, it's in the single digits, I think, the number of deaths they've had from the coronavirus, which is, I, I just can't understand that as American uh, where we have lost so many lives to this. Um, so it's it's all really in what we do in these next few years to better prepare ourselves. Um, this was a topic I want to talk about um, in the near future, Larry, but um, how um, how do we how do we deal with um, with that reconfiguring? How do we um, how do we address the the political and the leadership process of all of this? I know there's in, in terms of future episodes, we're thinking um, <laughs> poor Barkley has been waiting in the wings for so long. <laughs> um, we still want to talk about well, Barkley well, and anxiety. That's still there. He seems to consistently come in second place. <laughs> always the yeah. Always a always a bridesmaid, never a problem. Right. Yeah. But you, you had a great idea too this week about um talking about sleep. So we got Next Generation had Night Terrors, Voyager had waking moments. There's a lot of great episodes in Star Trek about sleep related problems. So um we could definitely mm-hmm. dive into sleep. I think that's that's a really popular topic right now. Um you and I have also really wanted to talk about Star Trek fandom, the good, bad, and ugly. So we'll put that up in the in the poll too. So if you come to our Facebook group page, uh, which is at facebook.com slash groups slash life support live, you can vote in the poll. You can engage in our conversation there between week to week and let us know in the comments too if you have an idea for a topic that you want us to tackle in a future episode. We love following your uh your suggestions. Yeah. Yes. And once again, I know it seems like the the uh, the quadrant is getting crowded with people doing things online, which is awesome. Yeah. I, I think uh, 
I think uh, Rebecca was mentioning Will's doing a <laughs> Will Wheaton's doing something live overlapping us. Oh we wow! <laughs> <laughs> but um, I know get us. Yeah, but, we uh, but it, no, if you share what I'm saying here is across the platforms. Whether it's you and yeah. we've even had a discussion here um, <laughs> in the old control room about uh, people from Facebook, which is a lot of my community mm-hmm. existing are used to seeing things live and the YouTube community is used to seeing things afterwards and mm-hmm. not so much live, but here we, YouTube's making a live channel and here we are. So wherever you are, whatever you view on, even our two Twitchers, we've doubled this week. Um, spread the word is what I'm saying. Spread the word out. The Facebook page is still kind of the hub that people can watch and people can comment below and the comment threads, even after we're not live, Facebook or YouTube, the comment threads can keep going too. So, you know, and you can keep making connections with the people. Hopefully you're meeting there, but most of all spread the, spread the word about our Facebook group page and spread the word about uh, being here live at uh, noon. I, I hope some of between the two doctors, one of us being really real, I hope it's been a benefit, uh, giving people something to chew on, maybe even some practical advice from Dr. Ali and your counselor's log and, and your away mission um, homework, as it were. That's what we're – it's the away mission, right? It's the away mission, yes. Yes, 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 yes. yes. That's what we do. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I've, seen, I've seen some higher-level Hollywood – there's a stunt woman actress viral video that was great that they put stitched together. I've seen a ballet, famous ballerinas from around the world stitched together a performance piece. People are getting really creative about – putting themselves out and probably doing themselves a lot of good and working on a project just within the street. You know, we've seen Saturday Night Live, some of these uh, parks and recreation did a reunion show. I mean, people are getting really creative about trying to make something Mm -hmm. and I don't know how long it can sustain. It may have to be a different one-off product each time, but everybody's getting creative, you know, about how to deal with this for now and keeping this connection alive and, and avoiding the isolation that we're talking about. Dan, I wish we got to talk more about Jerry Taylor. Um, we didn't. Um, mm-hmm. And Jerry Taylor's suggestion that social isolation can actually help bond people. He, I thought of this. He's, he referred to Resolutions, which yeah. was the show where Chakotay and Janeway might have been cut off, stuck off on a planet for the betterment of their crew. Yeah. That they were infected, and they did the ultimate social isolation issue, which leave us on a planet and the rest of you go home. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep, which definitely can bring people together. I've seen that. With my um, with my wife and I, we've had to be way better coordinated and understanding of each other and compassionate with each other. Otherwise, this this would not work. We would be. I don't even want to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll just say, you know, same here. We've yeah. found a way to. My wife never thought she could work at home with me working at home. Yeah. It, and it's yep. worked out okay. Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Alimatu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nemechek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Show. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone.